Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie and a very happy new year to everyone listening and to our crew today. I'm with Ash, Billy and Rosa. So we're out of the festive period, which is just as well as there is little peace or goodwill present in the world of Tottenham Hotspur right now. We're going to pick over the carcass of Spurs 0, Aston Villa 2 and unwrap the civil war that seems to be brewing amongst Spurs fans and within the club itself. That sounds pretty bleak, I know, but we'll make it fun, I promise. Um, and as a last minute present, we're also going to give you some superb culture picks from last year. Um, but first, to a grey sky Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on New Year's Day, where we saw an undermanned but still terrifyingly insipid Spurs Roll over for a competent Aston Villa. Unai Emery remains unbeaten against us. Two players Arsenal have tried to buy, scored the goals. We went behind for the 10th consecutive game, but this time there was not even a whiff of a fight back. It was incredibly bad. Um, Billy, I'm going to go nuclear with my first question for you, my friend. Um, now, we've all been present for matches where it's become very clear that the writing is on the wall for a Spurs manager. I'm thinking Nuno against United, Poch against Sheffield United, AVB against Liverpool. Um, it's quite a long list, so I'll stop there. Was this one of those days, do you reckon? Um, do you know what? I don't think it was. I think what was different to this game from what I from the, the games that you mentioned was that the crowd seemed to turn their attention towards the owners. Um, and I, I was at the game in two thousand. I think it was two thousand fourteen or two thousand fifteen when we played Aston Villa. Um, and we, I think we went one 0 down at a time when they hadn't scored Premier League goal for like thirteen games in a row or something like that. And um, that was the, uh, that was the last time that I ever heard any sort of like. You obviously get your pockets of fans, and you get the odd fan that shout about Daniel Levy and Enoch. But that was the last time that I can remember like like numbers behind chance with Enoch out. That was like seven years ago now. So fast forward to 2023, the first game in 2023. This was the first time in recent memory that 
a genuine, like quite large pockets, I would say, of the South Stand um, and reportedly in the North Stand as well. Obviously, I sit in the South Stand, so I don't know about that. But apparently, <clears throat> you know, it was, you know, in pockets throughout the ground. This is the first time I've ever heard like genuine, loud chants towards Daniel Levy and, and Enoch. Um, so, yeah, I think I don't I didn't hear much. You know, you, ha you had your classic rumblings towards Conte. Um, and I know that the mood around Conte, as we'll talk about later, has changed somewhat from the fan base. Mm. Um, but this is the first, in terms of being like the Nuno game against Man United, which I was at as well, the attention was definitely more on the board than the manager at this point. Do you think that's a good thing? And I know it's never a good thing if you're in a situation where fans are feeling like that's what they need to do. But is it good in a sense that instead of just turning attention squarely at the manager or the coach that perhaps people are zooming out a bit now and looking of course at it. i mean i know we're going to get stuck on us a lot more detail in a bit later on but we can't just keep doing this can we we can't keep changing the man there's daniel levy has employed 18 managers only one of them has ever signed a contract extension Pochettino. We can't just keep doing this forever and ever and ever and repeat cycles. So it is about time we, as a fan base, start asking wider questions. And I think we're just sick of like the endless cycle of we have a manager, the manager fails, we repeat another manager, and we don't do anything either way. So yeah, I definitely think it's time we started looking at the bigger picture. Okay, um, Rosa, you you weren't there, but just watching, um, it was bad. Do you feel like it was sort of catastrophically bad? Is it the sort of game where you do think about everything or can it be put down to, you know, we were missing, we were missing Bentenker, we were missing Kulisevsky, we were missing Richarlison, you know, we had no strikers on the bench. Was it just one of those days that actually in the grand scheme of things, it might end up being like that terrible week last season when we lost to Southampton and Wolves at home in the same week and then fast forward three months and it's all happy. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, that's what I'm clinging to because I had completely forgotten about that terrible week until um, Adam Nathan on Twitter like reminded us of it. So I hope it's that. Um, I just, I don't know. I think there were obvious mitigating factors. I don't think we can manage really that well without Benton Court and Kulosevsky. That's quite obvious. It is, as always, as Billy says, it's just football's a simple game. And if you have your best players, you're better. Um, but then it's like, somehow we've got to this point and we don't have a competent 11 anymore, which is quite frightening. Um, and part of that is just the fact that like Eric Dyer can't play football anymore um but then we dropped him but then Hugo made a horrible mistake anyway and then like we don't we have like the ghost of Sun as well who just he just doesn't exist anymore as a proper functioning football player and some of that's really bad luck obviously it's just classic isn't it with Tottenham it's just like it's bad luck it's bad management it's just sort of we have to get everything right and we don't and then we get hit by bad luck I don't know. I was just reading this piece earlier by um, Spurs Women blog and they were just going through the season that Spurs Women have just had and it was just like so exactly the same as the season that Spurs Men have had and I hate, and I've always hated making comparisons but now I'm a bit like, actually, if the two teams are suffering the exact same problems, 
what is the factor that they share do you know what I mean uh-huh. but actually as my last point um, uh, do you know what I'm quite it's quite nice to discover that we haven't really talked very much about Enoch on this pod and I can tell because it's been uh, like we pronounce it differently and I see that Billy's an Enoch person and I'm an Enoch <laughs> person <laughs> um I actually spell it out I say E-N-I-C oh do you I, okay I like VAR or V-A-R I just, I just, yeah I just wanted to be different <laughs> um Billy um, I think going back to the Villa game, I think that one of the worries for me is that, you know, even when we've been very bad this season, we've been really dangerous from set pieces. And our set pieces against Villa were dreadful. Like they were mm. absolutely terrible. And that's Perisic and Son that were both like shanking crosses. So to me, that's sort of makes you worry, doesn't it? Something that's definitely up against Villa. But you, <clears throat> hopefully you can attribute to like being a, a terrible day at the office. But you know, you could look at that and say, like, has the manager lost the players again? Or is it another case where like the players have just given up with the manager, which we've seen, you know, 18 times over the last 21 years or whatever it's been? Like, at the very basic level this season, we've always been dangerous in corners and set pieces. Um, and they were off, really badly off uh, against us. I don't think we threatened from a single one. Um, so, yeah, a little bit worried about that. I think that kind of... It either was a terrible day at the office or something is like unterribly wrong with everything. Well, it's it's why I asked you that big, bold question from the outset, because, Ash, I mean, we've seen Spurs go behind many, many times this season. It's not something we're unfamiliar with. The players themselves are now surely braced for going 1-0 down at any point during a match. But normally we've seen rousing comebacks, even when they've not been fully successful comebacks. I'm thinking about perhaps the Liverpool game where we go 2-0 down, but second half, we actually put in one of the best 45 minutes I think we've played all season. Here, the second the ball went in the net after Lloris spilled it, we basically just gave up. I mean, I don't want to sound too over the top, but I've seen enough kind of lily-livered, you know, wastrel Spurs performances where they go a goal behind and they clearly have just decided amongst themselves that that's it, game over. We're not even going to really almost go through the motions. And that, stunk the place out that performance after we went a goal down it was absolutely abysmal that's not really a question more than me just uh having my own little run there but it was really bad wasn't it It was atrocious no it was really bad but like it was weird because the first 45 minutes was sort of like completely nondescript and like I can't remember anything that happened in like the first half and then second half we came out and I was like, okay, we look really good. Mm. And then That's like five minutes, we were. I yeah. thought we were really. I good. was like, okay, like he's like giving them a kick up the ass, like we're back. And then like Hugo like makes a really like rudimentary mistake and like puts us under pressure and like then they go to pieces. And I think it is worrying because the one thing that you like you've mentioned like every time we've gone behind we've fought back mm. to, to see zero fight. And I saw I saw a report or like a Twitter, I don't know if it's a rumor, that like Kane had blasted the players like after the game. And I was I was so confused by it because he walked around for like an hour of the game. Like Romero, like was the one chasing down like the goalkeeper in like the last 15 minutes. And mm. lack of effort is just, I know we'll get onto this, but it's just something we've seen under various managers. And it's really, really concerning. Um I do agree with you, but actually, I'm, you know, as much as I don't really want to think too much about the sort of Hugo Howler, I can't, like, I feel now, sort of listening to it again, I feel like now I can sort of explain it, actually, because 
we've got so used to the defense making mistakes, right? And specifically like one member of the defense making mistakes, like Dyer has like cost us a goal a game in on like several occasions. And so you think, okay, he gets dropped. And then you're fucking captain, man. And I know Hugo's done that in like on several occasions in the past. Not at the World Cup, of course. Not, the Not World at the Cup. World Cup. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you're captain. You're capped. Like I'm just I, I feel like I'm just gonna keep saying that. And I, you know, I love Hugo Lloris. You'd like everybody knows I do, and I feel so privileged to have seen him at this club. But like what how are you supposed to kind of pick yourself up after that? Do you know what I mean? You're just like off. Oh, like, obviously, they came back out of a plan, right? They were like, it's nil-nil. Okay, let's go and let's get these guys because we can do it. We can come back with strong second-half performances. And then it's just like, oh, th- not just a guy, like the guy, our captain, just ruins it. And I and I think the sort of psychological hill that you have to climb after that, I do feel like that's bigger than if it's Eric Dyer or Ben Davies or Davinson Sanchez, actually, because then you're just thinking, what? It reminds me of, um, you know, like our very first Champions League run and we obviously got like brutally taken apart by Real Madrid. But like, I feel like, was it Crouch got sent off? Yeah. And you could see and you were just like, because obviously, you know, we were already down by however many goals from the first leg. And then he got, but you thought, okay, well, they're going to make, they're going to put up a fight at least and try to get something out of this game, at least for pride. And I remember going to that game and just thinking, you could just see that they were just like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? You can't, like, you can't rely on our team. It does seem to be quite, it's like, maybe I'm wrong and I only watch Spurs more than I do other teams, but quite a Spurs thing to, um, look around at someone making such a ridiculous thing and go do you know what nah why like, am I here why am yeah. I here I don't think it is a Spurs thing that much I think we think it is probably because we're all so neurotic yeah. and we just spend all our time watching Tottenham like I'm sure there are fans of other teams who are just like why does this always happen to us we just don't take them seriously because actually they have not suffered like us I think my uh my favorite example of that is um when we played Liverpool away and um, there was that picture of like Jan Vertonghen like slouched against the wall before the game. And then during the actual game, Tim Stewart didn't even come out. He sat in the stands, our actual manager. I'm like, come on, man, this is, you're right. It is a very Tottenham thing. But I just remember that picture right before the game, our players were literally just slouched against the wall. Like, it does. It's, it is. It has been happening for a long time, this kind of thing, I think. And that is, there is that kind of lazy attitude about it. Ash is totally right. Like Kane, was just not really at the races. And that's a very surprising thing mm. because he's normally one of the guys you can rely on. I, I totally agree with Ash. Um, <clears throat> it was only really like Romero who was sort of had any kind of gumption to get back yeah. into the game at all. I and thought Perisic, I thought yeah, Perisic did yeah, pretty well. I mean, he... And I think there was a moment in like the 80th minute was there where he sort of ran and got the ball for like a throw in mm. and like put gave it back to Aston Villa but, and like he got applauded <laughs> for that. Great but, jump, by but, the way, to grab that yeah. ball. That yeah, was it was. The second half. Paris yeah, is just... jumping to grab over a throw. <laughs> but again, what is, is you know, is this, does this sort of like point to a wider issue that, they've, again, they've just given up for, for the manager or the manager's lost them, whatever? I mean, um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it was one of those, it was one of those perfect storms and that from where I sit in the sort of corner of the West by the North Stand, in the first half when we're normally kicking towards the North, whoever's playing left wing back, and hopefully it's usually Perisic, 
he normally spends most of the time screaming for the ball in acres of space. And sometimes Benson Kerr is able to find him and, you know, good things happen. This was one of those days where not one Tottenham player was able to or had the desire to find either of the wing backs because Doherty was getting into some decent positions as well I think but we just had not one iota of creativity in that team I think the players were sort of seeing the pass but you know I guess quite rightly because it's just not in their locker the Hoybiers and Basumas etc were just having a good look seeing the players in space 25 yards away and just taking an extra touch and shuffling it back and and Ash, you're completely right. I can't remember anything about the first half at all. I got reminded that we had a Kane header cleared off the line by Ashley Young. And I was like, oh, that I'd, I'd totally forgotten about that. It was a really, really weird sort of, it felt like one of those kind of 11.30 in the morning kickoffs, I guess, because it was, you know, New Year's Day and people were hungover and it's fiddly to get around London at the minute because of strikes and all the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. But really really insipid really worrying and I guess speaks to the holes that we have in the squad which you know we are going to get onto. hopefully some of those holes get addressed in the transfer window but Christ knows what's going to happen Christ knows who'll be our coach by the end of it there's an awful lot to to sift through Rosa um just on that sort of taking an extra touch and passing it back thing that happens that's a real that properly happens when Tottenham players just feel under pressure and they feel terrified and they don't yeah. want to do anything. And this isn't to say that that can't be turned around because I genuinely believe it can be. I think we're just in a weird moment and I think there just needs, I don't know. I feel like they just all need to go to like another fucking boot camp and just shut everybody, shut all the noise out and just be like, this is what we're doing. We're just going to like practice um playing football again <laughs> but it is you can see it you know they pass the ball backwards and then they get themselves into trouble and then we concede mm. so it's such a nervous way of playing that unfortunately well and we've talked about it before isn't it and I feel like you've said this Charlie where it's like they somehow feel like if they get kind of the closer they get to their own goal like the safer they'll be but it's exactly the opposite like and it rarely works so I can like again, I feel like if I want to, I can make loads of excuses for the villa performance. Um, do I want to though? Do you know what I mean? I'm just also half of me is just like, you're fucking assholes, sort it out. <laughs> they are assholes, but I also kind of felt for them because the crowd were like on them. Like mm. the crowd are really on the players, like and like early doors as well. Like, you know, things like the Emerson sub, like I felt for him like. As soon as I saw him like put like pulling off his top, I was like, oh my God, he's gonna get an awful reception. And he did. And you know, when that atmosphere starts to happen, like Hoiberg is like putting a two-yard pass like out for a throw-in, like under zero pressure. So I think like obviously I'm not saying this is the crowd's fault, but I do think like there is a, a sort of shared responsibility to like get behind the team while we're in the ground and the game is like on. And I think it's it's someone like Basuma. I think really feels it because he's he's new to the club. He's playing <clears throat> in front of like 62,000 people for the first time in his career. He's no longer got, you know, Graham Potter telling him, you know, you do what you like, Eve, you just run around and be you. And instead he's having to sort of fit in this very rigid system, execute Conte's sort of plan and feel like maybe he's not able to express himself. And then on top of that, 
you know, anytime he loses the ball or he takes a heavy touch, he's got, you know, the sort of murmurs and the, it's a re- it can become really poisonous. And this isn't exclusive to Tottenham at all. It's a, you know, Premier League wide issue, I'm sure. It's just that we go to our stadium and hear it all the time. And it's not fun. And it wasn't fun on New Year's Day at all. And I came away feeling really, really bummed out. It was my first game since like September and I was, despite everything, I was really excited. And then the Kulisevsky news, I don't know about you guys, but just seeing that team sheet, I was just like, oh, oh, okay. That was just like, and I'm, I wonder if perhaps that also impacted the team because they must know as well, like how important Kulisevsky is to that team. And, you know, God bless Brian. He did his best sort of Jose Dominguez impression and ran around and threw himself into tackles after he'd lost the ball a few times and all the rest of it. But it was a little bit kind of men against boys watching him against the Villa defence at times. Um, Billy. Yeah, man. And I just I was I was literally about to say exactly the same thing as that. But I think like the phrase that you used earlier, the perfect storm, I think is a, a really important phrase for what kind of happened for us in Villa. Um, it's just not a, it's a it's a really bad time for us at the moment. Like we're down bad and I'm in a number of ways. Like if you list all the things that are going on at the moment. Um, number one being the fact that Arsenal are top of the Premier League, which obviously adds natural anxiety to our fan base. Uh, number two, the sort of surrounding clubs around us are being strongly linked with like hundred million pound players, seventy million pound players. Arsenal seem to be linked with um, you know Jeff Felix and Mudrick, Chelsea, and so Fernandez, Liverpool just bought Gakpo, etc. That's another factor. Then you add into the fact that um, you know all kinds of mixed, mixed messages are coming out about our manager. Will he be back? Will he leave? Is he going to just like? quit at the end of this window end of the summer all that kind of stuff and then on top of that you got the fan favorite like our savior at the moment Kuliszewski being injured on the day of the the game it's like that's it's, you cannot you I can kind of understand why the fans like it just aren't worn up for it at all um mm. we're down bad at the moment there's no denying it like we need you know funny thing is when I t- spoke about that game um the Aston Villa game we got like a fluke Harry Kane free kick which ended up turning our whole club around um, and any, anyone that remembers back then knows that's not, that's not really an exa- exaggeration to say that that, mm. that one specific moment like changed the whole fortunes of our club. Um, and maybe we just need, maybe we need something like we need like maybe like a, a last minute winner against Palace or like you know some kind of performance against Arsenal in a couple of weeks, which I know we're all terrified of, but we need to get that spark back again. Um, because we're just down bad as a fan base at the moment, we're really sort of in the mud. Well, let's let's zoom out a little bit, perhaps. Um, and just, you know, think about the club outside that Villa performance because there, there's a ton of stuff going on. It feels like, you know, we can dissect disastrous performances, but, you know, it seems that one particularly has sparked a bit of a meltdown online, which, of course, is not a rare thing, perhaps, for the Tottenham Hotspur fan base, but this one seems to have really struck a nerve. And as Billy said, we're down bad. We've got what is it, three wins in 10? I worked out earlier, we've been ahead for, I think, eight minutes total of those matches. Like, we've been in the lead for eight minutes in, in 10 games. It's, I think the, it's last, mad. the last time we took the lead in a Premier League game was October the 15th. <laughs> I mean, it has been a World Cup, so we'll, yeah. we'll allow them that. But even, I, even I, I was looking, and even in the matches that we've won, we've been, uh, we've been sort of down... Uh, in five separate occasions, we've been behind in even those matches. So st- something is not right. So what I'd like us to do is assess all this. Who's to blame? Why are why are we fans sort of forming rival factions? What happens now? What happens next? 
let's start with Antonio Conte. He seems to be at the heart of what's becoming a bit of a well culture war, really, particularly online. Um, Rosa, is Antonio Conte to blame? Simple question to start. Um, partly, I guess. It's interesting because actually I'm sort of... I don't think I've ever wanted a manager. Well, okay, that's actually a lie. I was going to say I don't think I've ever wanted a manager of us to get sacked. That's obviously not true. There are many, but like recent sort of recent years, like I didn't, you know, I didn't want AVB to go. I never wanted Poch to go. I did, you know, I don't. Sure, obviously, I think sure, obviously, Sherwood sure felt like Sherwood. Sherwood sure probably Nuno. Obviously, Nuno. I think we all just felt a bit sorry know, for it. It was yeah. a little bit weird and silly. Yeah. Um, but Sherwood was yeah. It was probably the last one I was actively like. I can't wait for you to go and and or die ultimately but so with Conte I'm sort of naturally more sympathetic but I do sort of thinking back about the game and the kind of and the sort of general context of our club situation right now and I don't like I refuse to talk about the club at the top of the league but obviously it is making everyone crazy which I think is understandable and I just think it would behoove Conte to just give us something of himself in this moment to make us feel all right, just to be like, I'm on your side. Um, you know, even if it's a lie, man, people, football players, managers lie, it doesn't really matter. But just say, I'm with you, I'm in this, I'm in the trenches with you, I feel what you feel. I feel like that would probably help. I don't agree with the people who say he thinks he's too good for our club and he hasn't really committed to us. I don't, I'm not quite sure where that's coming from. It seems to be like a few little things that people are kind of blown up. I guess, um, right. I guess people would say that him not signing a contract, him being on this very short term deal and perhaps kind of having an awful lot of leverage and enjoying that leverage is why a lot of fans, I think, are feeling that he's got us over a barrel and that commitment you mentioned isn't there from him. So maybe the players aren't as committed. Maybe fans don't feel as committed to him because he feels it, you know, perhaps some fans are getting the impression that he's kind of using us as a short-term thing before something better comes along. This is, you know, this is for us to discuss. Yeah. And I, you know, I could see that, but I also, to be honest with you, I think most of the, I don't know, maybe I I don't really want to... I'm very torn about all of this because I don't want to tell, like, loads of our fan base that they're just being idiotic and they should just chill out. Um, (laughs) But I do also feel like a lot of it stems from a sort of dislike and a distrust of Conte in the first place as a sort of Jose Mark II. A lot of people felt like that about Jose and are very kind of traumatised by what went down after that, you know, some of which I sympathise with, some of which I think was, you know, massively self-inflicted. And so I don't, I feel like there was an, there was already a distrust. And so I don't, Mm. I don't feel like people came to Conte with like a sort of open heart, shall we say. And I think they were just ready to be like immediately, this is what he's like. This is the guy. He will never, he will never be one of us. You know, I'm sorry, but I've been at that ground where people have sung his name loudly and he has obviously felt it and he's loved it. And the club have also kind of pushed him forward quite a lot as the kind of face of our club. So it's not, and that, you know, he has to agree to that as well. So I don't, I don't, and also he's just, he's just like a guy, just a human being. I think a lot of, 
there's a just there's just like a lot of unnecessary sort of rage directed at him I think he's just he's a mm. manager he's not you know he's not a god he's not a genius football teams lose games often and they often lose them in really stupid ways um and one other um you know and also he did like he did perform miracles last season that's just that that's a fact and I don't care if people want to be sarcastic about it is it like he can say it because it's fucking true and we also do need to fix the squad in various ways and also I think this is a man who came to our club and did great things and then actually also suffered like a devastating loss to Mm. be honest um, I don't know if you could go back and kind of mark the point at which our form started to unravel a little bit, but I would bet that is that it relatively co- closely corresponds to um, Jean Pietro Ventrone's death, to be honest. And I don't, you know, those sorts of things can go one or two ways. You know, maybe it galvanizes people, or maybe it just kind of casts a sort of pull over the club. Um, and, but I would suspect it's really hard. It's been really hard working in those circumstances, to be honest. Mm. And I just think I can't really stand all of the sort of hysteria around Conte. That's my, you know, people don't have to agree with me, but I just feel like it, it, I just don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing, man. And as much as I loved Poch, like I loved him so much and I genuinely feel like at one point I would have died for him. <laughs> I just, I've said this to you guys, I'm actually fucking sick of him hanging around because I feel like it's spoiling it now. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there's, a, there's a reason why, and an argument to make, like, why Conte won't commit. And it's because, like, he, he knows that he's not going to get back as soon as he does. Like, there's a reason why he's not signed that contract. There's a reason why Pochettino is, like, lunching with Sir Alex Ferguson and, like, twerking for Real Madrid every five minutes. Like they know that they're not going to get the backing they need and that's why they do it. So we have to just make a decision as a club, like who we are and what we're going to be. And like, hopefully the uh, season ticket prices reflect that. Yeah, you're exactly right. And also there's this whole thing of people saying, oh, he's a great coach and he should be able to kind of work with what he's got. And it's just like, I don't understand how you can forget that this is a club that literally didn't buy anyone for 18 months. For our best ever manager, our most successful manager, like the one we all loved. Also, I mean, what I would say about that in terms of the argument that he's not getting anything from a group or he's not improving a a group of players that we have spent money on, you know, there's a a lot of talent in the squad, etc. We are still two points off fourth through to the knockouts of the Champions League ahead of Chelsea and Liverpool. We're not, you know... We're not 15th or we're not 9th or whatever. We are still sitting in a relatively good position, albeit with some tough fixtures coming up. But, there's a you know, we're not even halfway through the season. We've not played everyone once yet. It's an awful lot of football yet to go. And, you know, to me, he still has an awful lot of credit in the bank for performing that, you know, and I think you're right, Rosa. All right, a lot of people are sort of rolling their eyes about him using the word miracle. But, you know, we were dreadful last season and he got us into the top four he did that's that's just a fact um and that wasn't that long ago and we're not in that terrible a position now in my opinion Billy um yeah I don't think it's any secret that I'm a Conte fan um um the reason why I connected with Conte so much is because the things that he says about Tottenham I believe to be true and it's in line with what I think um you know we don't act like a big club and we need to change the way that we operate um we aren't 
we don't behave like a club that is successful and wins things and we don't win things. Um, so when he comes and, you know, he talks about the things that you need to do to be able to be a title challenger, um, I believe him because he knows what it is. We don't know what it is as a club because we don't do it. We haven't done it. Um, we had a couple of times under Pochettino where we got close, but we didn't act on it and we didn't sustain it because we didn't act like a big club in those periods. Um, so the reason why I connect him, because I do believe that if he was given the tools that he has asked for, then I do believe that we'd be a lot more successful. We'd have a good chance of winning something. Um, and Billy, I'll... just when, when you talk about those tools, because I think what a lot of mm-hmm. people seem to be saying is, look, in the summer, we got in Perisic, we got in Richarlison, mm-hmm. we got in Basuma, X, Y, and Z. You know, he had an awful lot of investment where investment hasn't been for other managers. Do you feel like the club didn't go far enough? You know, and also I think what we should say is that I'm pretty sure on on this podcast, even we sat there in August, pretty thrilled with the business that we'd done. We were all pretty confident going into the season. Maybe, you know, there are one or two positions that we were a little bit kind of concerned about. But by and large, we were pretty psyched with the business, right? So do you feel that... It's fair to say that he hasn't been backed or he has been backed or is it somewhere in the middle, maybe? I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think summer was a great start. It was a great start, um, but it wasn't quite, you know, the kind of, it wasn't quite, it possibly wasn't quite as good as we thought it was at the time. So if you look at the two key positions um, that we really desperately needed, one of them was a right back um, and he was not given a right back that he wanted. He was given a Dred Spence who, I mean, who looks a good player, who looks an exciting player, he looks like an exciting player. The fans want to see him. The fans got behind him against Aston Villa. Um, but he's not a Conte player. He wasn't a player that Conte wanted, wasn't a player that Conte asked for. So what's the point? And you can now, uh, of course, you can argue that Conte should be playing him more now when we've seen some you know, horror shows at right back this season. Um, that's beside the point. The fact, the, the main point is he was not given a right back that he wanted. Um and the second point is he obviously our main defensive target was Bastoni, which we did not end up getting. And we did not get a best only level player we got Longley who has been a good sign-in I'd say overall but he's kind of a stopgap isn't he he's a loan sign-in um you know he's he's a sort of Barcelona reject who Barcelona did not want him um I think he's a I think Bastoni um sorry I think Longley would be a great squad player to have um but he's not a sort of marquee defensive sign-in um he's sort of just a good stopgap in between so we, we we didn't get like those two key positions and we didn't get a creative player that we as again showing that we desperately needed um which is still showing but i do think it was a good start if you want to become a title contending team we need to take summer do it again in january do it again in summer um the next summer and you need to keep doing that that's exactly what antonio conte said yesterday you need to go out and buy 50 60 million pound players you know two or three a year um and summer was a good you know it was a good start but we need to sustain that over a number of years if we realistically want to be competing for the top honors in this country what really uh, um, I think was the, like the moment that changed for me in, in terms of Antonio Conte and my sort of optimism for him staying here was that interview that he gave on last week where he said, um, I want experienced players, the club don't. Um, and I, that just made me think, what is the point of all this? What, why are we kidding ourselves? If our manager, who is a proven winner, wants experienced players, no matter, if you even take away your views on Conte, if you take away you either love him or hate him, whatever, if you take aside all of that, what is the point in having a manager who we're not going to give what they want? We might, what are we all doing? What is the point of all this? Um, so after that, you know, that interview, I'm almost certain he won't be here after summer. Um, because if we're not going to give him what he wants, what is the, why are we wasting our time doing this? So, um, you know, I personally, I align with Conte. I believe in what he says. 
because I think he, we need to hear some home truths about the way we act as a club. But I, also at the same time, I, I, my optimism of him being a success here is kind of drained because, you know, we're not giving him what he wants. He's not giving us what we want. What's the point of all this? I think it's just at the moment, it just seems like we're wasting all of our time. It does feel a little bit just like we're all just kind of marking time until Poch comes back and then we can all just, and then it's just like, give everyone what they want and we can, and then it finally happens and then let's all just move on with our lives. Um, I do, I don't know, I do sort of feel that like, my hope is that a lot of that is kind of Conte talk and that behind the scenes, it is possible for a compromise to be worked out because he know, and he wouldn't, he would have known joining us that we're not going to spend the money that City spend, right? That's just not all the money that Chelsea spent when he was at Chelsea. That's okay. I feel like there's still a lot of money and that they can, that Tottenham can spend, that they did spend over the summer, actually, like a lot of money was spent. Um, I do think like if we don't, if we don't get another central defender in January, like for me personally, I'll just be like, it's over. Cause I just, I don't like, we can't continue like this conceding two goals every single game. And one player, one player can make all the difference. Like if you think of how, as soon as Toby Alderweireld slotted in for Fazio, like we went from having like a chaotic leaky defense to like the, be- the best one in the country. So it's not like it's going to take loads of extra work. I don't think you just need like one more like elite player. Um, so I do, you, do you know what, it's just, it sort of feels ridiculous talking about it, doesn't it? Because I feel like by tomorrow he could just be gone and all of this would be nonsense. But at the moment, I do, I do think some of it is like big Conte talk. And obviously the board don't want to spend as much money as he would like to spend. But surely when you work at this level, that compromise is necessary. No, and I, and I do I, I do think there is a compromise, and we showed it last January. And Kudelski and Bentancur, um, you know, the club obviously the, what's come out from that interview is that the club want young young um, players of resale value, and Conte wants experienced players. The 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 sort of middle ground is Kudelski and Bentancur, who are sort of ready made quality players under twenty five or around the age twenty five. And you know maybe that is the middle ground that we can be successful with in this January. Buy some more yeah. players, like and that. then Anna Perisic but, as well. Exactly. What I do worry about though is Benson Court and Kudelski was like a freak lightning strike once yeah. in a lifetime I, deal. I agree. Like we're not we're not going to replicate that in January. That's not going to happen again. We're not going to just stumble upon two players that instantly solve all our problems again. So who, who belong to the club that are director exa- football? Exactly. Like we can't we can't rely on that kind of model going forward. It's just not going to happen again. Like we can buy players of that quality, but we're not going to get them for 16 million and 50 million for Kulisevsky, a 21-year-old winger who's now one of the best wingers in the world. It's not going to happen again. But what we can look at is that hopefully that level of player, um, and hopefully that is a middle ground which could see some success in January. Or we might be able to do the thing, like if they're saying they want to spend money on a centre-back in the summer, I just don't really see why we can't do it now. <laughs> just be like, just spend that money, spend it now. Don't spend it well, in the summer, but it's I fine. Mean- you could argue in so many ways, and I feel like the temptation is to say this when, in fact, we end up saying this pretty much every season because football feels so life and death so often. But this is a really, really, really big season, whether it's Conte leaving, whether it's to do with Harry Kane and us losing him in the summer or him signing a new contract, whether it's watching you know, our greatest rivals win the league whilst we finish outside the top four and end up in the Europa again. All of this stuff, it's what we do in the next month feels absolutely integral to the 
you know, at least the short term future of the club. Um, Ash, do you have confidence that Tottenham are actually going to pull off a successful 30 days from now? Zero. Zero. None, none whatsoever. <laughs> no, because there's like, there's 20 years of evidence that suggests that like that isn't going to happen. And I think like, just looking at like the rumours and like the players that we're linked with, like all the other clubs in the top six are going like for Enzo Fernandez for like 120 million. I when just I just saw Demasio say that Chelsea are about to sign. Okay, fine. It's for, a, for 127 million euros. There you go. But it's like fine if we don't get him, but we're not even in the conversation. And like we're not. It's really weird the sort of trick that like sort of I feel like Enoch and like Levy have like pulled on like all of us for like so long is it like we have no money and you know we might do a Leeds and everything might fall apart and but we're really rich club and like they're about to probably post like record revenues and we've been in the stadium for like four years and there's all these events we need to buy better players like you know even like getting this right back for like 40 million 40 million is nothing in like today's money and like it's a release clause. The reason that like Arsenal were able, dare I say it, like to go and buy like Thomas Party from like Madrid was because they just went and paid the release clause. So there was no discussion to be had. And like Paratici said when he came in one of the various interviews that like Levy like rolled him out for, was that sometimes you've got to pay more to get a player of quality. And we don't do that. Like the reason that we got like Longley was because Barcelona were in the shit. And like you see that like con- that constantly under this ownership, whether it be like Swansea and I don't know if it was it like Joe Roden was Swansea and like they had like mm. no money. So we go and get him or I think we bought like Alfie Devine because like Wigan had no money. And it's like there's just a trend here. And it's like, let's just go and buy the players that the manager wants, because otherwise, what is the point in all this? Like Billy said, like at some point we have to commit to a manager and my sort of guess and I think we're probably all going to be right on this is that Conte goes whether he walks or is sacked or whatever it may be or the contract expires and Pochino get comes back and everyone forgets and it's like another last straw and chance for Levy and it's the same it was the same with Fraser Campbell was a last straw and <laughs> not backing Pochino was a last straw and honestly I left the ground on, on the weekend and like most of all I'm just bored I'm like bored of doing this like again and again because like I know what happens next. I've seen it before. And like obviously we're going to go because we pay the money. And like I, I was walking out of the stadium and, you know, like booze were ringing out. And there was like a, a girl, a South Korean like girl conducting like a photo shoot behind me as like the booze are ringing out, which was so funny. But it kind of just sums up like we don't matter. I think screaming leave you out, I don't know if it actually makes any difference, truthfully, which is very worrying. No, they'll sell when they want to sell, basically, won't they? I feel yeah. like. And I, I guess the fear, if you are someone that very much wants new ownership, is that you know, Man United and Liverpool suddenly being available puts us right down the, the queue for prospective, very rich people to to come and buy the club. And again, it, you can't help but feel that we've maybe missed our our window and or the window is, is closed on. So, I mean, I suppose the other thing is, who do you want to come and buy us? You know, we look at Newcastle, 
we feel you know largely grossed out by what's going on with them it's very difficult to find sort of ethical very difficult to find ethical billionaires out there that are going to sort of make everything right but that's maybe a question for in a few minutes um billy yeah man i've been in my feelings a lot the last couple of weeks you know i'm not my usual optimistic self um i think about eight years ago on january the first um january the first 2015 we beat chelsea 5-3 that is one of the best tottenham experiences that i've ever had in my lifetime one of my favorite all-time favorite days at the stadium we then built one of the best teams in europe best young team in the country and we built a team that won um 17 out of 19 home games in the premier league um and we decided then to knock that ground down and straight after immediately go on a season unbeaten and not just unbeaten but winning only not winning two of those home games with the promise of a new stadium which will hopefully take us to the next level well that stadium is now here it's been here for four years we're in the champions league you can align you can attribute like the maybe stuttering start to covid that's fine we're not in covid we're in, you know we're coming out of the pandemic now we've had events we've had boxing we'd have nfl we've had sold out concerts um we've been in the stadium for two four years and what has changed what was all that for what do we give that up for um <clears throat> if we're still in january we're struggling to pay the release course for 40 million of a player like what was that sacrifice and we sacrificed the best team, the best home team in the country at a time when we could have maybe challenged for the league if we'd have just said, right, do you know what? Let's just have one more go at the league in the stadium. Um, we were very, very close with the best home record in the league by far. Like We gave that up to be in this new ground. Why did we do it? Like what Have we moved on? Have we progressed since then? Doesn't seem like it, does it? Are we acting any differently? Doesn't really seem like it, does it? So I just kind of wonder with Enik, um, you know, what was all this for? What was the point of this game-changing stadium if we haven't changed the game? Well, here's here's a question. Do you think that Enoch are bothered if Tottenham ever win the Premier League? Like, are they ever... Is that part of the strategy even? Like, what what is... If you had to describe to someone what the owners of Tottenham Hotspur want for the club, what would you say, Ash? I think they just want to increase the revenue. And I think that's very obvious by like looking at their actions. And it's not just now, it's it's looking across like 20 years, 20 plus years of ownership. Like they've built amazing infrastructure. And I think like they deserve a lot of credit for that. But when you like take a step back, like in a footballing sense, it's one league cup. And like Tottenham, it's really weird. Like Tottenham's almost spoken about now as being this sort of like middling club that you know, has never achieved anything. Like when the Premier League was set up, like Tottenham were one of the big five clubs. And like, yes, like we were taken over by Sugar and they saved us from that. But Spurs aren't like a joke club. Like they consistently like won things. And now we win nothing. And I know that the dynamics of football have changed with Abramovich and like Saudi and like- And also the Champions League and the, you know, prioritization of getting to top four in the Cups. Yeah, yeah. Of course. And like, you know- Pochettino was like a godsend, but it's almost like we lucked on lucked into Kane and Pochettino. Like by all accounts, Levy never even wanted Pochettino. That was like a Joe Lewis appointment. We never hear from Joe Lewis. Like you hear from the Glazers more than you hear from like Joe Lewis. And everything kind of just feels like they're buying time. There isn't really ever a plan, which I think is like the really big problem is that we just want to plan so that we know where we're headed. Like we left the ground at the weekend. It's like, what are we doing? Like, where are we headed? And like Levy sort of, Levy clearly doesn't have a plan because 
before he hired N- uh, Nuno, he was talking about like Spurs DNA and well, like. There was an. O- I mean, he posted an open letter where he set yeah. out what he wanted from a new coach and it being attractive, progressive football and yeah. bringing through young talent, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's followed that up with Nuno and then Antonio Conte having previously employed Jose Mourinho. So there's, it, there is no, and again, like you don't want to, you don't want to look down the seven sisters road at, at that lot too closely because it's depressing, but you know, what Arsenal have done and not everything they've done is, is right and perfect by a long stretch, but what they did do was have faith in a coach. They completely gutted the squad of any players they felt weren't right from a DNA standpoint or a culture thing. And they backed they backed Arteta. You know, a few months ago, we were, you know, laughing at Arteta, having watched Arsenal, you know, throw away fourth. And now here they are. And it's but, sort of showing that that patience and that commitment to a plan works. But we right? don't do that. Like Mourinho no. wants to get rid of Delhi, and like Daniel Levy says, like no, he can't go. Like we need to keep him. Like there's more mileage in him, and it's like at some point, and I don't know whether it's like under this manager or another manager, but like you just have to commit, and like that's why I just like want Enoch to go, and I want Levy to go as well. I don't want us to get bought by someone else, and like Levy to still be at the helm. Like we just need fresh energy, and like Arsenal, like to their credit, and I hate to say it, but like. They basically gutted the board. Mm. They gutted the board and they gutted like the players that didn't want to be there. And like now they're like competing for titles. And like we had better young players than them. Like Kane and it, and it, and it also it also felt like the Cronkays were really on the ropes at Arsenal for a while. And they were on the yeah. cusp of selling. They had, you know, there was pressure from Daniel Ek and the fans and all the rest of it. And they've responded and they've put their hands into their pockets. They've, as you say, they've gutted the they gutted the board, they put a structure in place and they came up with a plan and stuck to it. And, you know, I don't know what our plan is. We just lurch from one, you know, and it's that thing where it feels like, okay, it's fine to go out and sign a really splashy celeb manager like Jose or Conte. But Mm -hmm. if you're not wedded to what they want and how they do things, you're essentially just taking a financial shortcut because you're just saying, well, look, we got, we got Antonio Conte and we're paying for him 15 million a year. But if you're not committed to doing exactly what he needs to happen in order for him to bring the success that he can deliver, you're just sort of cheaping out again. And I just don't understand what the point is. I don't understand why you even get into a room with him. If you're not willing to just say, we give ourselves over to you. We know that this might crash and burn after three seasons, like it tends to, but for those three seasons, we will listen to everything you say because we're Tottenham Hotspur. We haven't won anything since the League Cup. You know, in 2008, we have Harry Kane and Hong Min Son in their late 20s, early 30s. We have to do this now. You tell us how to do this and we'll do it. And instead, I just don't get why we don't listen to these people. I don't get why we think that we know better when there is no evidence to suggest that Tottenham Hotspur know how to get over the line. We don't. Enoch do not know how to get over the line. And they keep bringing in people who have an awful lot of you know, proven success in doing so and it just seems like we try and we try and sort of overpower them when I don't know why we just don't listen I really don't and I think the the, the worry for me is Daniel Levy has a, a absolutely terrible track record of managers like 18 managers in 20 years one of them you could one of them has won a trophy which was a league cup one day Ramos you still probably couldn't you you wouldn't like 
um, die for him being like a successful manager at Tottenham, was he? He was, was a great manager overall. Um, he did win a League Cup, though. Um, the only surefire successes, you can say, are Harry Redknapp and Pochettino in that time. Um, so that's like three managers out of 18, if you're being generous. Um, if Arteta was manager of Tottenham and the same things happened, he would have been sacked last year for sure. If he'd, if he'd have messed up um, that top four thing, he'd have been sacked. Um, if he'd have finished outside Europe, he'd have been sacked. Um, and if he'd have had that sort of stuttering start that he had under Arsenal, he would have been sacked. No manager has ever had like a three-year period of backing like Arteta has had that has now led to Arsenal challenging for the title um, and being seven points clear at the top. No, no manager has ever had that. And if you say right now, so if you, you know, Conte had maybe a summer of backing this summer, maybe, um, but no managers ever have it for three years. And if you're, if you, you know, those fans that are saying, well, we're not going to back Conte because he's not going to be here for three years anyway. Okay, well then what happened to Pochettino then? Because he was a manager that was here for the long term. He did show signs of having a youth um, you know, the youth, the progressive football, and he was not backed. He went 18 months without having a sign-in. So if we're not going to back a manager like Conte, we didn't back a manager like Pochettino either. So what are we doing? Like, what is? It's just terrible track record of managers, and it's over and over again, and I do not see any changes till we get new ownership, to be honest. I just think Daniel Levy and Enik have a terrible track record of managers, um, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Well, I don't totally disagree I just I kind of just want to bring something back in like it like we're acting like like this was Arsenal's plan from the beginning like I'm sorry they were out of, I they, think it was they, I no, think it was. they were out of the Champions League for si- they've been out of Champions League now for six years this I don't know how they did it man I don't know like because honest to God like they event like they eventually got rid of Wenger, but then they hired Emery. Like, are you to, like that's not that's no not no no. That I, don't, I don't think the Emery like yes Emery maybe the last a... three years. And I'm like honestly the Arteta thing just whatever it baffles me. Like I can't like if they do it, it will be like fine whatever. It will just it will be because we're cursed whatever. But like don't like football is hard it's just it's hard to get it right and I don't disagree that like Enoch and Daniel Levy have got it wrong probably more than they've got it right but it looked like chaos at Arsenal for a long time and it was really quite toxic even under Arteta and fine they backed him and I think that we should back Conte but to suggest that it was just this kind of like more straightforward somehow than it than it was. It looks really good now. Yes. I'm, but it was chaos it was, over there for a long time. And I just, I don't, I'm just, I don't want this energy to like infect us at all. Like it was, it was a few years ago that they were looking at us saying, how have they got it so right? Actually, like things turn, things can turn. They turn quite quickly. But I think that's Sorry, why I don't want to get shouty, but no, like, no, no, I, I just, I, I can't, I just, I, I hear, I hear those words too often at the moment and it makes me feel insane. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I I think that they reached like a real crisis point, and two or three years ago, like Ash said, they completely rebooted the board. The ownership were put under intense pressure, and they were forced to adopt a completely different strategy. And of course, they have spent a hell of a lot of money. Like that seems to be somehow going under the radar. Is that Arsenal have somehow, you know, attracted a load of sort of talented kids from the streets and are suddenly, you know, doing what they're doing? They spent a fortune but I think my my sort of broader point was there was a I do think with Arteta being there and the player the the profile of the players that they've recruited there was a plan and there's been a plan for two or three seasons where they're only signing young players that 
you know, they're, they're getting rid of the Abamyangs and the players that they don't feel fit, you know, what they're trying to do. And I don't really know what it is we're trying to do. And I think that's all I want is just, if you're going to get Conte and if you spin back a bit, if you're going to get Mourinho, then to my mind, that puts you in a sort of win now mode where you just sign the experienced pros that they want to get you over the line. I don't think, you know, if Conte is to be believed, it sounds like Spurs still want to go down the route of signing, you know, younger players that they can build up. And that's the model. I just then don't understand why you hire Antonio Conte in the first place. I don't understand why you hire Jose Mourinho in the first place. Just seems like a hell of a waste of time for everyone involved. I think that's, I think that was for Kane. I genuinely believe a lot of that is to do with Kane. And they knew that like they had to keep him because you can't lose him for because of his quality and like what he means so I think they were just like just get the manager who can win um but I like I found this quote from like the day that like or when Enoch were taking over from like the Guardian article and like it quotes someone saying Tottenham will be Enoch's flagship club but the company is unlikely to make millions available overnight they have not done that with their other clubs and are unlikely to change their approach so like nothing nothing will change in the future because like that's just the that is the nature of like Enoch so like it's fine but like we just need to like move on from this Mm. um yeah that's it (laughs) Billy and I think the last time I will mention Arsenal and I'm I'm not mentioning in a positive way is that people are talking like this is some kind of like fairy tale you know given it like Leicester vibes or whatever it's not a fairy tale they've spent the most money in the league the last three years running like that is the you know, it's not some kind of that. Yeah, they've spent the money well and they've got behind a manager. But like the simplistic fact is, if you spend the money, it will happen. Mm. Um, it's not like they, you know, they're doing things the right way and they've they've done everything. Like, um, you know, bought these players all through the academy and it's incredible. They've spent a lot of money doing it. Like that's and the reality is, if we're not going to be there and spend the money that is required, you know, we're not going to see the same kind of results that they're seeing. It's just the end of the day. At the sad reality is that money is everything at the moment for football. And I think it's particularly it everything... it's not morals in no. any way, shape, or form no, as that club. I'm sorry, sure. like I just that's one thing I just I, I can't really get beyond it to be honest. Like I just mm-hmm. like not not on a kind of like us as Tottenham fans, but just like as a human being, as a woman, I can't really stand it to be honest. It makes me just feel really sick thinking about it. So yeah, fuck Arsenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's not talk about them again. Um, let's let's talk about let's each give the group one point for optimism. Going in, it's the new year after all. Like I said before, we're two points off fourth. We've got AC Milan next month to play. You know, fuck it, we could win the Champions League. Like we could go on another mad run where we just sort of go insane and get a really lucky draw, and who knows. There's not even, you know, half the season gone yet. There's so much football to be played. We've got a hell of a lot of good players. Give me a positive point that breeds op- optimism in your soul, Rosa. We do have a lot of good players. That is, and that is what makes me feel optimistic. And it isn't, you know, it isn't just saying Kulisevsky, but I feel like part of the reason people got really upset um, on New Year's Day was when they saw that he wasn't playing. It's not about winning but it's just he as a player like is a joy to watch right and that is what I cling to really because we have players like him and we have players like Bentoncourt and Romero is finally back and I genuinely I just 
I don't think we're that far off being really, really good again. If we can just buy like a couple of other players, I really, I really think we will be good and we will be fun to watch. I, you know, I know Conte Ball is not going to be to everyone's taste. I personally don't mind it and quite enjoy it at times. Um, but I do think we're not that far away. I think what people forget is, you know, I think there's this sort of, fantasy that Conte took over the club that made it to the Champions League final and maybe that's unfair but we are so far away from that we weren't even that good at that time that was a crazy lucky ride in so many ways but we are very far away from the best that we were under Poch it's been a kind of long painful process and the rebuild will probably be quite long as well like we're not going to be challenging for the title anytime soon I don't think but I think we could be really really good again quite quickly I really like looking at our team there's so much quality there I really really do believe that and that's not me trying to make myself feel better I genuinely do believe it I enjoyed that thank you Rosa Um, Ash (laughs) I'm just excited to see Richarlison play because I feel like we've bought this like £60 million striker and we've barely seen him. We really uh, haven't. We really yeah, haven't seen so, him at all. Yeah, and he was like brilliant at the World Cup. And I think he really does care. Um, and, you know, I think just having people like him and like Romero, Benson Kokulusevsky, just like the energy levels, I don't think if you're Kane, I don't think you're going to be walking around if you see like Richarlison like steaming into people and Romero sort of chasing everything down so I'm really looking forward to seeing Richarlison back because I think he just like had a lot of positive vibes at the stadium when he was there totally agree yeah bring on the end of the month when he finally does hopefully come back um Billy round us off I'm not straying too far from those two points at all but um there are some real signs that um our our best you know some of our players are on decline but if you look at Bentonker, Kulisewski, Romero, Richarlison and Destiny Udoji who's coming in the summer. That's the sort of the fabric of a really exciting attacking team that is, you know, young, um, got loads of character, loads of attacking ability, loads of pace, got everything. So I think the signs are there that Romero, I think I said Romero, if I didn't say Romero, then Romero too. There are signs that we're starting to rebuild and recruit the top European talent. And if we can carry on doing that, um, while our old sort of guard are waning now, um, I think it could be an exciting time if we stick with that method. Also very good. I'm I'm going to say that my reason for optimism is even if it all goes to shit, it will still be quite fun and messy and dramatic. And ultimately, we're Spurs fans, right? And that is as part of our DNA as attractive football and winning the double in 61 and being the first English club to win a European trophy. We are proper messy bitches at Spurs and we love it when it all goes to shit because we all get to talk about it loads. You get a fresh start and Christ alive, are we used to it and we know how to handle ourselves and we know how to navigate through it. So whatever happens, we'll be absolutely fine because we always are. And as Ash said, we'll still turn up. We'll get excited about something else. We will put our blinkers on and we will have our hearts broken 18 months later, but it'll be fine. Um, I totally but- agree. We were built for this, man. We really <laughs> we're, were, weren't we? <laughs> we're, we're the worst. <laughs> we're the worst. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> I think a point, a point for next time is Spurs fans, are we the problem? I think that's maybe... <laughs> We yeah. can spend, Does, we can that spend even a an debate? hour. We can spend an hour on that, maybe. Um, next time we chat. Let's let's wrap things up properly. 
away from Tottenham, I want one thing that you would implore our listeners to check out from 2022 on a culture tip. So one one thing that you love so much that if you really, really, really were forced to pick something, what would it be? Billy? Um, I would go with the best film that I saw last year, which is Everything Everywhere All At Once, which I do think I spoke about um, when it came out. Um, but it's the most exciting and interesting and innovative film I've seen all year. Um, and it's also proof that you don't have to have like a Marvel MCU budget to make a really exciting film. So if anyone's not seen it, I think it's on Amazon Prime for free. That's what I'll go for. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and I really want Michelle Yeoh to win the Oscar for it in, when that comes around. Nice one. Thanks, Bill. Um, Ash? Um, probably The Bear. Um, because oh, I was going to say The Bear. All right, you have The Bear. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I've, I've got time to think of something else. You go. Um, yeah, I just think that was the best TV show like last year by like a mile. And yeah, I just think like everything on Disney Plus seems to be good for some reason. I don't know why. I sort of laughed at Disney Plus and now I just <laughs> I ignore every other streaming service. Also, just if you need to like reboot your like menswear wardrobe, the bear is a really good place to find some inspiration. Um and a really good soundtrack. And it's inspired me to work a bit harder in the kitchen and on my forearms so that's why i love the bear as well um riser whilst i think of something else uh buy me some time i think um, i think i'll probably go with pachinko on apple tv um which was the korean drama the sort of century spanning korean drama um that was just so glorious and like unbelievably beautiful to watch and very kind of heartrending and brilliantly acted yeah I think because I watched it by myself and then and I thought Ollie would never get into it and then the other day he just like I was like like doing some reading or something and he came through and he was just like oh my god Pachinko's amazing so there's not like a lot of like we don't there's loads of stuff that we disagree on we have this sort of weird reverse thing where like loads of couples kind of share their sort of cultural stuff and then like you know they don't enjoy like football together we're kind of the opposite of that in loads of ways um so I feel like something that we've both actually enjoyed has to kind of be quite high on my list um and also we got a new tv and so I watched another couple of episodes and my god like it does look so 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 beautiful so I would probably yeah I think that would be it yeah pachinko I need to watch it this year I yeah, actually, you really, like, you really do. Like, I urge you, yeah, Charlie, I've, I I've urge watched, you to watch it. I've watched, it's one of those shows where I've watched a couple and I've no idea why I stopped. Like, absolutely no idea why it fell off. The Probably because there are just so many streamers. And I feel like if you don't, anyway, I, yeah, I need to. I There's need a lot going on, but you do need to go back to it. Yeah, I'll blame my new baby. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, I'll go music then. Um, I And maybe this is sort of, like recency bias but i thought that the um little sims album was so good like and i feel like it arrived and then it was christmas and you know if you're anything like me then i i do listen to like normal music during christmas but i also really really like christmas music so i kind of go into like a once it gets past like the 20th of december i just listen to christmas music and everything else gets like binned off till january and so I feel like I, I listened to it today whilst doing some bits and pieces and was like, this is just like so good. Like from really good, really good. Yeah. Like Inflow has just like knocked it out of the park, of course, because that's what he does. But like it reminds and it's 
one of those great things where a, an artist is sort of like so in tune with a producer and they've kind of let themselves kind of be you know I mean I don't want to take away from Little Sims at all here because she is clearly the you know the guiding light in everything she does but she it's such a wonderful collaboration because it feels like she's just sort of let this collaboration sort of take her to places that maybe she wouldn't have gone otherwise or he's been pushed himself it's just such a great album and I implore everyone I keep saying the word implore I've not said the word implore for about five years but I've said it about six times it's really really good it's not Christmas anymore so you can go back to it and have a proper listen um that's my pick um that was a that was emotional guys um that was about as intense as I think hometown glory has ever got uh but good and I think it's cathartic and I think we all needed to say a lot of those things and I thank everyone for being so honest and open and frank and it's really good to be challenged on things because Christ knows we all just say a lot of this stuff and think that everyone's mad and that you're completely right and I think that was a really a really productive conversation so I thank you all as ever we did this just means like i feel like this means we really do need to keep antonio conte as our manager because he's just like us he's just like <laughs> a messy dramatic bitch like really like it's just like looking in the mirror isn't it and that is why i connect with him exactly exactly yes. bill <laughs> <laughs> we still love you antonio don't go on spurs twitter um bill see us home please up the spurs Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.